Another episode of the Out of Sight Podcast on the Liberty Ballers Network. I am your host, Adil Royster. Chill ride, chill vibes. First things first, got to get it out of the road, out of the way. Holy crap, we have a coach. And holy crap, it's Doc Rivers. Finalized it over the weekend. Doc Rivers will be the new head coach of the Philadelphia 76ers. Five years, which is a little... Uh, it's a lot of years. Um... But Doc Rivers will be coming in and coaching a roster that is full of all-star talent. One in particular that we are going to discuss, me and my guest, is Joel Embiid. Harrison Grimm wrote a piece last week on the site entitled The Sixers, Can, entitled, the Sixers Can't Forget About Joel Embiid. Man's name is Harrison Grimm. He's been on the pod before. He's back. And he's better than ever. Harrison, what's up? Hey, man, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Um, it's great to be back uh, on your pod. And this time, uh, things have definitely changed from the last time we talked. The Sixers, like you said, got a new coach. And I'm just really excited to dive into that and also talk about my piece a little bit. Yeah, the last time we talked, the Sixers didn't have a coach. So, you know, lot, things things happen when people come on the podcast, go off, and then come back on. Things happen. Out of sight podcast. Making things happen since 2020, ladies and gentlemen. Let's go. Um, you talk about the Sixers needing to not forget about Joel Embiid. How did this – what was your thought process behind this? Do you think the Sixers are in a position where they would kind of forget about him, even with Doc Rivers as the head coach? So my whole thought process behind writing that piece was actually um, inspired from the piece that I was on here before to talk about where I talked about how the Sixers bad moves made them where they are today. And as I was researching that, I, I really realized that some of the moves as of late or some of the moves post Sam Hankey have really catered a lot towards Ben Simmons and less towards Joel Embiid. And that's when I started to realize that the Sixers might be in a way, and this, this isn't sourced at all. This is just going off of, you know, the facts, uh, the trades, but it really does seem like the Sixers have made moves that have catered more to Ben Simmons needs than uh, Joel Embiid's. Uh, when it comes to the Doc Rivers hiring, it, it, it's tough to say thus far. I mean, we saw Joel Embiid put out a tweet welcoming Doc Rivers to Philly. So, this was, as far after, as, this was after Embiid gave the seal of approval to Mike D'Antoni, by the way. Yeah, and <laughs> and it was really confusing. Like, a lot of reports came out um, that Ben wanted this coach or Joel wanted this coach, and it's really hard to tell what's true and what's not. But it, it seems like Joel's excited for Doc Rivers. I feel like Doc Rivers was an okay candidate to hire out of the three main rumors between uh, Doc – Ty Lue and Mike D'Antoni. I feel like he was an okay hire. He wasn't my personal favorite. I feel like they should have gone with either Ty Lue or Mike D'Antoni. But nonetheless, Doc Rivers is a solid coach. Um, and I do think that the fit between Joel and Ben regarding Doc is a good fit. I, I don't think Doc is going to favor one over the other. He seems really excited to coach both. Looking at the team that Doc is coaching next season it there's a lot of 
Lob City East potential with Ben and Joel. So I kind of I'm kind of really feeling that. Uh, obviously, Ben Simmons doesn't shoot in the ways that Blake Griffin does, but I mean, who knows? Maybe Doc can do some inventive stuff. But when you talk about Doc's time with the Clippers, the center that he had was DeAndre Jordan. So I, how can Doc kind of mold a new or evolved offense around Embiid, somebody that has way more offensive potential? Do you think he would go back to, like, say, you know, when he had Kevin Garnett in Boston? Yeah, I, I think when you're comparing past players that Doc Rivers has coached, he's obviously known for the team that he did win a title with in Boston uh, with Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, obviously with uh, the Lob City Clippers and also the current Clippers featuring Kawhi and Paul George. And it really seems like the best comparison that Joel has uh, would be to the Boston Kevin Garnett just because Kevin Garnett um, had so much in his offensive game. He could post up, uh, he could hit a mid-range shot. Uh, you could do a lot of things, and um, it, it's tough to say how, how Doc is going to use Joel because DeAndre Jordan had some of his best years when he was an L.A. Clipper, but obviously Joel's a way more talented center on the offensive end. He can shoot. He can post up. So it's going to be interesting to see how he uses Joel. Will he shoot more? It, it's it's really tough to say. Um, I, I think that also relates to if, if Ben shoots, but – from Doc's comments, and there haven't been too many, so take it with a grain of salt. It seems like he's content with Ben not shooting. So if that's the case, I think you will see more um, jump shots from Joel, which, depending on where you stand on that, um, is either a really good or bad thing. Let's rewind back to the 2014 draft and bring up a angle that you had in your piece about the 2014 draft with Jabari Parker, Joel Embiid falling to number three, after knowing that Embiid would not be able to play for the 2014 season. The line you wrote, you could say that the NBA world began to forget about the former third overall pick. How possible really was that, considering this is a guy in Embiid that was being compared to, like, Elijah Wan? A lot of people forget back then how how it was, and... At, at the time, even Sixers fans were like, this guy was never going to play. You heard it all over sports radio that Joel Embiid was never going to take the court. Joel Embiid's Dario. never going to take the, the court. Dario's never coming over. Yeah, we, we heard all that <laughs> nonsense. <laughs> exactly. And with all the setbacks and stuff, a lot of people, including myself, couldn't help but wonder, there is a chance that this guy might not uh, take the court. But it, for the most part, you know, all the diehard process fans really rode out with, with Joel, not just Joel, but really all the process players. And fortunately it, it really did pay off with him. You know, he, he eventually got healthy after a two year, two season absence. And now we know him as the dominant center he is today. That first night when Embiid made his debut, 20,000 plus strong at the Wells Fargo center and just what was that atmosphere when he drove to the middle of the lane and then got Steven Adams on the skates and just hit that beautiful mid-range step back? It was, th that was crazy. That game, I was actually fortunate. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually fortunate enough to attend that game. That was the first season opener I've ever attended. Um, I actually got to that game late because of how crowded it was. I, I was used to process crowds and oh. that was not, that was not a, that was not an empty arena by any means. <laughs> so 
I actually missed that turnaround shot, but I was in the arena at that point. And I've never heard a Sixers game like that because I really became a fan in like 2013, 2014. I really started following basketball around that time. And I just never heard anything like it. Like I thought there was a, a fight or something going on. <laughs> and, and eventually I, I do get out there and I see just Joel carving it up. By the time that I walked into the arena, he actually had that um, block on Russell Westbrook and people were just losing it. Oh my God, that was great. It was, it was incredible, especially looking back on it now, now that Joel and Russell kind of have a little bit of a, of a rival uh, type of thing going. Um, it was just an incredible atmosphere. And even to this day, um, I've, I've attended playoff games. I've attended games where, you know, I, I, uh, the Christmas game where, where they face the Bucks, And it, it's still that night does not match up to the magic of any game that I've personally attended. Um, since then, there, there's just something special about that night, seeing Joel uh, go off. He only played, I think, sub-20 minutes, but he finished the night with, like, 20 and 7, if I'm uh, correct. And, you know, that night you could tell that this guy this guy was special just by the way that he was playing. Um, and you got to look at it from Joel's perspective, too. This is a guy that hasn't played competitive basketball in front of thousands of fans for mm-hmm. two to – three years um, because he got hurt when he was at Kansas. So the fact that he was just so dominant that night in limited time is really something impressive. And it's something that I'm never going to forget. All the moments, all the amazing games, all of the moments, right? Yeah, it, it, it was just a truly special night. And then going forward, everything that he's accomplished, uh, talk about it all-star all nba team all in all defensive team it's hard to even fathom that the team and the direction has kind of forgotten about Embiid when it's almost painfully clear that the fans have not forgotten about him at all like he's still he's still the one where like you see probably more Embiid jerseys on the street than anything yeah, it's really interesting when, when you go back to that night, you, you see the fans in that arena and you look at it now and you look at everything in between and you're just like, where did things change? And a lot of things really changed with the Colangelo hiring. And I talked about this in my piece a little bit, but Colangelo had ties to Simmons. That was his first overall draft pick. That was his guy. Um, and obviously, you know, that, that was a good draft pick. Benson, an incredible player. but Ever since then, it, it just seems like Joel was kind of the, the second thought. And you really saw that with the moves. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here. But you saw okay. that a lot with the, with the moves of the summer of 2019. Uh, because, you know, all the guy or yeah, the summer of 2019. Because all the guys um, that Joel was tight with, the, the J.J. Reddicks, the Jimmy Butlers, even T.J. McConnell he was tight with, they're all on different teams. And the Sixers brought back Al Horford, who was basically viewed as the backup behind Joel whenever he was out, which at the time, I don't even want to say it was a good move. I didn't agree with it, but, you know. It it made sense, but not for $108 million. Correct, yeah. Like, even if you cut that contract, like, in half, let's say, which probably wouldn't get him to Philly in the first place, like, you could get behind that hiring and or that signing and – you could really understand it. But in reality, 
it, it just seems like the Sixers are kind of gravitated away towards him. And you look at this locker room, personally with me, I'm, I'm not inside the locker room. I'm, I'm not tight with Joel or any players, but I honestly can't name a player that I've seen Joel actively like hang out with. Like typically you'll see him all over social media, like playing video games. We saw it with a uh, former Sixer, Justin Anderson, obviously Justin Anderson's now on the Brooklyn Nets. You, you just haven't really seen that all season with any player on the roster. And you have to ask yourself, does that, does that affect Joel? Does Joel feel some type of way? Um, and which I hope that's not the case, but time will really tell with that. And going forward, the Sixers really need to build around both him and Simmons. You can't build around one or the other. Both of them can play together. Doc said it in his press conference today. You really have to take both into consideration. I want to expand on this like alternate parallel universe that you've kind of laid out. Let's say that, you know, Hinky never gets dismissed, we'll say. Um, and he has that Ben Simmons draft pick. He's there for the Ben Simmons draft night. Um, is it fair to say that Hinky would do more to build around him because it's his guy? Because you said that Colangelo maybe built around Simmons because Simmons was his pick. Well, when, when you look at Sam Hankey, it, it seems like he really didn't favor a specific guy. Like him and Joel were very close. When Joel was going through those rehab years, you would occasionally see Joel and Sam Hankey hanging out um, in a suite attending the game, uh, just breaking down the game, talking and such. And you could tell that they developed kind of a bond over time. Um, so it's really tough to say what it would look like. I feel like Sam Hankey really did – have an equal love for kind of all of his guys. Like he never gave up on Jeremy Grant for, for instance, or, or Rashawn Holmes or anything like that. He, he was patient with them. Um, and it seemed like he was committed to developing them and building them. And nowadays, ever since, you know, Hinky was let go, the Sixers have kind of lost that way with development. You, you rarely see players come in um, and perform better and proof throughout seasons. We've seen it a little bit with, both Simmons and Embiid, and I guess you could also throw Firkin Korkmaz into that conversation because he kind of came out of nowhere. But it's really taken a step back from what it once was. So it's really tough to say what Sam Hinkie would do. You could also argue that maybe he would take Brandon Ingram if he believed he had a higher ceiling, which I don't know if I would go that far. But the whole what-if spiral, it's really tough to say what Sam would do. Going down the list that you outlined in the piece – trading away close friends of Embiid. I think the one that stings the most, probably Jeremy Grant, seeing how well he's doing in Denver. I guess Covington would be a close second. But I, I definitely see your point, because if you recall, one of the first signings that the Sixers made in free agency was Luke Mbamute, like a countryman from Embiid's home nation. And they were like running buddies pretty much. Luke and Bob Mute is a, a great example of someone that was close with Joel that he was teammates with for a certain amount of time. And a lot of people forget that if Luke and Bob Mute didn't have his camp over in Africa, Joel and B likely wouldn't be an NBA player because Joel and B attended that camp and Luke and Bob Mute saw the potential in this young guy from Africa and eventually invited him over to the States and connected him with people that could help develop his game. Um, 
And what's crazy even more about that, about Luke and Bonamute, is the Sixers could have signed him um, to play probably in, in the past summer. Not only just that, but he was a free agent for the majority of the season. He eventually signed with, I believe it was the Houston Rockets as an end bench piece. And the Sixers didn't bring him in, which I found surprising just because. A little, a team, little shocking, yeah. It was a team that needed perimeter defense and Luke Mbamute can kind of shoot. He's a, he's a decent 3D guy, but more than anything, like that's someone that you can bring in. And that's someone that you know Joel is close with. And he could have just been a positive influence in the locker room. And they could have signed him. The Houston Rockets signed him before the NBA bubble. And he was a name that I really threw out there that they should pursue. Uh, they obviously went with uh, Ryan Brokoff, who never really suited up. But that's something I really felt like they should have and could have explored. I want you to speculate as best you can about the latest uh, Joel Embiid running buddy, uh, Jimmy Butler. If Jimmy were still on the team, how different would it look versus versus Horford at all? You know, um, would Embiid's attitude be a little bit better or would it just be more or less business as usual last year when everybody was saying, hey, let's run this back? It's really it's really tough to say. I I feel like Obviously, if the Sixers would have kept Jimmy Butler, that likely means they're also keeping J.J. Redick. Uh, obviously, that team is a lot better than the one that's currently constructed. Um, so all the negative uh, just tone towards the team would obviously be a lot different. Um, you know, there, there's both goods and bads to what would have been if they would have kept Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler was a very polarizing player when he was a Sixer. There was times where he could actively tell he was coasting throughout the first half or the first three quarters on both ends of the floor where he wasn't being super aggressive and he wasn't being the perimeter defender that most people know him as. Um, And a lot of people worried that some of those habits would rub off on, on Joel. And at times last year, it kind of did seem like there was moments where Joel might be coasting. Um, So, so that's a negative side to it, but on the positive side, you know, you have a, a top 15 NBA player someone that really gets along with Joel Embiid, uh, which, which isn't easy to do. Jimmy doesn't praise many guys. Um, no, he does not. <laughs> throughout the NBA. So it really speaks to Joel's character. If Jimmy views that highly of him, uh, it, it's tough to say, but obviously the team I think would be in a better place. And I feel like Joel Embiid, um, if he's unhappy or feeling some type of way now, which from his tweets, you can tell it's, it's a little bit kind of passive aggressive whenever Jimmy does something good where he's like, wow, I wonder what this guy could do on our team. You know, I, I feel like Joel Embiid would be feeling better about the Sixers. Going forward with Doc Rivers as the head coach and Elton Brand as the general manager and the report from Keith Pompey how the Colangelo cronies are, they're in the front office, but they don't have as much power as they have in recent years. What, what does that group do now? Do they kind of focus on what makes Embiid better, what makes Simmons better, or what makes both of them better together? And if so, what are some of those moves that, had, that have to be made? Well, it, it's really tough to say otherwise uh, than the direction that Colangelo, who hired them, was taking and building around basically just Ben Simmons in a type of way. And obviously 
the burner accounts in which Colangelo <laughs> or his wife also uh, the burners. It. I miss the burners so much sometimes. Content for back. days, those burners. Yeah, I go back from time to time just to look at some of those tweets and <laughs> it, it's still wild to think that that happened. But it, it's really tough to say that those um, those people would go a different direction in which they have been. There, there's nothing that leads me to believe that they would change their outlook in regards to Simmons and Embiid. So my my mind or heart kind of tells me that they're going to keep continuing what they've been doing, which hasn't been much, to be quite frank. Um, and, and keeping them is, is just a bit of a head scratcher because if I'm a basketball executive or if I'm a team owner, I want to do everything I can to improve the people around me. I don't want to be the smartest person in the room. I want to get talented people in. And you have two guys, and Ned Cohan or Alex Rucker, that were hired under Colangelo in a front office that added nothing of value throughout two to two and a half years. And, you know, it's just tough to, to gauge the value in which the Sixers or Elton Brand or whoever it is, it, I, I can't even tell you nobody really knows. <laughs> um, it, it's tough to see the value that they see in them. I, I don't know what they're going to do, but I'm glad that at least from the outside, it seems like Elton's going to be taking charge more, who obviously isn't a Philadelphia favorite right now, but I feel like Elton is a step above those two guys who I just mentioned. So I don't know. It's, it's really tough to say it's a puzzling thing. Uh, the Sixers were rumored to be hiring someone under Elton Brand from another team. I think a name that was brought up was uh, Portland's assistant GM, which is an interesting choice. Um, I, I really don't know much about that guy, but I, I feel like any, any help is help at this point, and the yeah. Sixers need all the help that they can get. Does Horford have to be traded in order to improve the – kind of continuity of the locker room to keep Embiid and Simmons happy. Is there any universe where Horford is still on the team and the reaction from the rest of the locker room is still positive amongst the, the two big all-star? Well, when, when you look at Al Horford, the, the problem with him isn't necessarily chemistry issues. He's not a bad guy. In fact, he's a really great guy. He's a proven pro. Um, I think genuinely he is a really good guy and a good vet to have around Simmons and Embiid. The issue entirely remains with just the fit and the play where the Sixers are essentially playing two centers that been, that can both kind of shoot it, but it's not what they're best at together. Um, and, and I think that's the main problem when you look at Horford and Embiid. It's not really a chemistry thing. It's just a, a playing type of thing. And part of me wants to say that they can – play not necessarily together but I do think that in a perfect world where Horford was not making 108 million dollars <laughs> that that it would be a good thing you know having Al come off the bench he's a great center to have uh, for Simmons as long as he's hitting his open threes and making layups um, but but I think when you look at it when you look at the salary cap I'm currently working on a salary cap piece right now kind of talking about some of this stuff mm -hmm. but Horford's salary is massive he was the most paid center in the entire NBA this past season that's going to change now uh that Joel's getting paid more this season oh my god was he really he really was yeah oh my god 
That's depressing um, as hell. Yeah, yeah, it really puts things into perspective on how much the, the Sixers are paying him. Jesus. And when, when, when you got someone taking up that much salary um, that isn't a good or, or a perfect fit or even a decent fit, I, I wouldn't say, you really have to change things up. And that's why I really think that you're not going to see a massive change in the Sixers um, if they do keep Horford or if they can't move him, it's, it's going to be a really hard contract to move. I see people saying like Al Horford, Matisse in a second rounder for Buddy Heald. And like the Kings no. are not doing no. that. No. If the Sixers are going to trade Al Horford, everybody needs to be ready for like, and I've floated this a bunch of times. I don't know if it's contract viable. He has to opt into his player option first, but something like Al Horford for Nick Batum straight up, or just, just something like that, you know, like, something where you're getting maybe 15 cents on the dollar just to just to move some stuff around yeah like even that move Nick Batum has fallen off a cliff in terms of his production but that move could be extremely beneficial just due to the fact that it's It's an expiring contract yeah yeah and the the Sixers salary with with how it's structured now now that both Simmons and Embiid are making big dollars and deservedly so is they're not going to get the majority of that money back now with Tobias Harris's contract factored in as well. You're, you're probably only going to realistically get half of that to spend on, on a free agent in the future or, or what have you. So I, I think the best move would necessarily be something like Horford for, and, and some picks depending on, on who you, who you get. Um, for like two guys making a combined around what Horford's making. And while those guys are probably not going to be that good, you can use that money to match salary in future deals to get better players. Finish things off with this. I wrote a column maybe about a month ago and it was discussing how the Sixers, maybe it should be Ben Simmons's team because he can do so much more offensively as far as like pick and roll and uh, rim runs and screening and all like that. Is that something that the Sixers should look into or do you feel that they should still drive the bus with Embiid as the driver? I I think that they should drive the bus with both Simmons and Embiid. I I don't think it's something where you got to get rid of one or the other. I know that's what the national media wants is for one of them to be traded and the Sixers to just build around one of them. But we saw what a Sixers team looks like with just Joel Embiid and with a point guard and Shake Milton that can shoot. And they got swept by Boston in four games. Yeah. Um, that, that, That doesn't, that isn't a diss towards Joel either. He was amazing during that series. He didn't have much help, but the team just wasn't that good. And then we, we've seen Ben Simmons dominate without Joel Embiid, but I see caution in that when I look at a team like the Milwaukee Bucks with a player that Giannis, who is better than Ben Simmons in a lot of ways, has a team that is built almost perfectly around him. And that team can't even get to the finals. So that concerns me as well. And then I look at both Simmons and Embiid, and both of those guys have, if you look at the win-loss when they've played together, they've won, I believe it was like 65% uh, percent of the, their games. It might be even more than that. Uh, but, but it's above 500. It, it's a good record. Um, and I truly believe that they can win with both of them. I think both of them can play together. I think both of them need each other. 
Joel needs the passing. He needs an elite perimeter defender in Ben Simmons. And Ben Simmons needs someone that can just get a bucket or someone that can protect the rim and start these fast breaks where he's going downhill. So I really think that they need each other, and I feel like both of them know that. And going forward, the Sixers also need to know that, and they need to apply that to the future decisions or trades that they make, which will probably be happening soon with the NBA draft creeping upon us. So yeah, national media, stop trying to split up our all-stars. It works. <laughs> it does work. Stop. <laughs> just, just stop it. Just accept it. Just take the L on this one. You guys, you guys are wrong on this one. Um, Harrison, love talking to you. Good having you back on the pod. Looking forward to the next one. Uh, tell everybody where they can find you, be it Twitter, podcast, anything like that. Yeah, so you all can find me on Twitter at Harrison underscore Grimm with two M's. Or you can find any of my writing or work, obviously, at Liberty Ballers. Uh, thanks for having me on again, man. This was awesome. Absolutely. No problem at all. Love having you. Love talking to you. This column was awesome. And it really got me thinking about different parallel universes where Embiid exists with Sixers and just all the goodness. It was a fantastic column. Read that. Read that, everybody. Thank <laughs> you.